Uh, good to be with you this morning. My name is Scott, and I'm one of the pastors with Artisan. Uh, it's really good to be with you and continue, like the slide says, our series on the Sermon on the Prayer. I wonder if I, uh, if I asked us all and did a survey of our relationship to prayer, what kind of answers we might have. Um, confused, just learning, still learning, uh, disillusioned by it, disappointed by it, hopeful, excited, all of the above, none of the above. For most of us, there's still questions, I think, about what we should or shouldn't pray or how we should pray, engage in prayer, what we do and what we say, and often not sure what we feel about prayer. I wonder if anyone here would say this morning, I am just killing it in prayer. I, if you're wondering what a model of prayer should be like, look no further, here I am. Would anyone say that this morning? Because if so, then you definitely need to take the microphone from me. Okay, no, good. That's a good answer. Well, and if, if you feel like you're killing it, that's, that's okay too. But often that's not the case. Often there's this struggle, like we're not quite getting it or doing enough of it or, or it didn't work or it didn't do it the right way or all, the, all these questions that we have. And I resonate deeply with these words from Richard Foster who wrote a book simply titled Prayer. And in it he says, we today yearn for prayer and hide from prayer. We are attracted to it and repelled by it. We believe prayer is something we should do even something we want to do, but it seems like a chasm stands between us and actually praying. We experience the agony of prayerlessness. And so maybe if I could be as bold to say, um, can we name maybe some of the attitudes that might be present among us when it comes to prayer? What are some of those things, if we, if we would name them out loud, that might be present among us in regards to prayer? Apathy? Lethargy? Self-righteousness? What do you say? ADD? Should it be transactional or not? Yeah? Hopeful. Faith. That, say that again. Ah, the glaring sin was too recent. I'm going to wait. Mother Teresa, in her wisdom, says, uh, deep down in every heart, in hu- every human heart, there's a knowledge of God. And deep down every, in every human heart is the desire to communicate with Him. Uh, another quote, N.T. Wright, at its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of His reality, generosity, delight, and grace. I imagine 
that we fall in a spectrum in this, in this quote from shouting out prayers to enjoying a deep sense of his reality, generosity, delight, and grace. And all of that is okay. And that's why this morning we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Often I forget that it's actually part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we find it tucked strategically, I think, right in the middle of the prayer, or right in the middle of the sermon, rather. And so this is where we find ourselves in the Lord's Prayer today. And this prayer is so, so simple that a three-year-old could memorize it and recite it, yet so profound that there's been thousands and thousands of pages and books written about it by scholars and theologians all around the world. And that's part of my struggle in coming to you this morning, is that there's so much information about the Lord's Prayer. And so I, I just began to ask the simple prayer to God, what, what do we want, need to know today? What is, the, what is the fresh word about your prayer, God, that you taught us to pray? What is that for us today? And I have a few thoughts not promising that I'll stick. Maybe you get one little nugget, and that's great. My hope is to encourage us in, um, in approaching this prayer, this beautiful, mysterious, um, sometimes confusing, uh, awesome prayer. So with that in mind, can we say a prayer before we get into prayer? All right, let's do that. God, we, uh, we do need your help when it comes to this matter of prayer. And as we've articulated this morning, so many mixed feelings about it coming to you and what it even means and uh, what are we to do with this? What are we to do with prayer? And so, Lord, as we look at your prayer, I pray that you would help us to understand more of your intent around what prayer is and how we can approach you. And uh, I pray for help for myself, too, just, God, that you would direct me and, uh, and steer this, this, uh, this sermon this morning in your name. Amen. Uh, So I believe strongly, and I've read, uh, as you can tell, there's so much information on this prayer, but I believe strongly that everything we need to know about prayer is in this prayer. Uh, J.I. Packer says similar words, we never get beyond this prayer. Not only is it the Lord's first lesson in praying, it is all other lessons too. Uh, Daryl Johnson, a local Vancouver pastor, wrote this book, 57 Words That Change the World. Notice the, the word change, not in past tense, changed, but change. It continues to work. Um, and he wrote this book, and there's three great gifts that he talks about that come in the Lord's Prayer. First, it frees us from a universal anxiety of the human heart. We don't have to worry if we're getting it right. Here's an example, a, a template, if you will. It reveals the heart of the living God, number two. And number three, it grants us the dignity of causality, meaning we have the privilege of partnering, joining with God in his work. And in Luke's gospel, it's mentioned in Matthew and Luke. In Luke's gospel, uh, the prayer comes out of a response from his followers, his apprentices, to say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And I love this part of the Bible because often if you've read the Gospels and, and follow Jesus' life, he doesn't often give direct answers. He's always giving another question or maybe a story, and it's like sometimes, okay, that's great, but just tell me, just tell me, how, like lay it out for me straight here, Jesus. And in a sense, he does this with the Lord's Prayer. They said, Jesus, teach us 
how to pray. And he says, then, pray like this. It's pretty awesome. So a bit of the background of this prayer. Uh, Prayer, as I'm learning, was not as much of a closed or separate thing in the culture back then, but prayer was openly expressed, whether you were Jewish or pagan, as they called it, not Jewish. And um, there were prayers outside of that. There was prayers for everything. There was prayers to everyone. And the kind of the, the intent, and Jesus mentioned this earlier, is don't pray babbling like the pagans do. Well, the babbling was basically saying every name of every thing that they thought they could pray to for every reason and every purpose, so maybe one would stick. It's like, let's, let's say them all. Let's just gather and heap up all of these words because maybe one of them will work, and that's going to be our strategy. So saying a lot of stuff, bringing lots of names and ideas, and Jesus contrasts this sort of praying with this prayer. N.T. Wright says this about the Lord's Prayer and about this idea of the babbling pagans. We know from many writings and inscriptions that many non-Jews did indeed use multiple formula in their in their prayers, long, complicated magic words, which they would repeat over and over in their anxiety to persuade some god or goddess to be favorable to them. Such prayers are often marked by a note of uncertainty. There were many divinities in the ancient pagan world, and nobody quite knew which one might need pacifying next, or with what formula. And so Jesus says, hey, here, instead, and as he does, offers another way. And this is the prayer that we're looking at this morning. And I wonder if we could say this together. And can we stand and say it? Uh, the Lord's Prayer. This is from Matthew. And also added the traditional, uh, the extra part for yours is the kingdom. So let's, let's say this prayer together uh, before we kind of get into it and discuss it and talk about it. All right. Our Father in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I guess one of the questions is, what do we do with this prayer? This is awesome. This is great. This is beautiful. Many of you have heard this thousands of times. What do, we, what do we do with it? What are we to do with it? And one of the questions I had was, is this to be script or framework? Are we supposed to excite, uh, uh, recite it exactly or to use it as a template or a framework? Um, which obviously leads to uh, soccer. So uh, I don't know if you've been following the World Cup, and you probably can tell by me saying soccer, I'm not a huge soccer fan or football fan. So sorry for all you diehards who only call it football. I'm, I'm calling it soccer this morning. And uh, I ran across this article, though, about uh, it was in relation to the World Cup, and uh, it was soccer fields around the world. And this got me excited, made me actually want to become more of a fan. I got so excited about this. And they show pictures of soccer all around the world. This is in Switzerland, up in the mountains, neatly carved away in there. There's the next one is from Haiti. During a government protest, these guys found a way to carve out some space 
and play this good game. Greenland. Scientists from the Norwegian Institute of Marine... Uh, nope, wrong one. Sorry, Russia. Go back. Russia. A stadium made of straw. Greenland, the one I just showed. Scientists from the Norwegian Institute of Marine Research. Uh, Brazil, a driftwood soccer court built after the village uh, was flooded. This one in Tokyo, Japan, a rooftop of a department store. Uh, this one is kids in a small village in the Amazon. Uh, this next picture is a picture of a makeshift soccer ball made by some refugees at a settlement in Uganda. And maybe some diehards, some really like religious soccer players would be like, you can't play soccer like that. You need a proper soccer ball. You have to do it the right way. Or this, maybe people will be disappointed to see this village in the Solomon Islands, just north of Australia, running around with chickens, sticks poking out of the ground. And this, a beach in Myanmar. Uh, the point is, with soccer, you, you, all you need is the, the framework of the game. You need the ball. You need the, the main components. But contextualizing this game is part of the fun of it. You get to take it and create, make your own space for it. Have fun with it. Maybe it's not even against a team. Maybe it's just you and a buddy. Maybe it's a, a, a full official game with a referee and net. The point is you can play this game in so many different ways. And I guess my thinking in comparison to prayer is that prayer, if we look at it more of a fr as a framework, I think, yes, you can say the word scripted. But the point is that we get away from babbling like the pagans do. So just, you know, picking our magic words and then repeating them as if they will make the change for us. But the idea is that it, we grab a hold of this framework and we add to it. We play with it. We, we invent. We contextualize. We take it into our context. What the prayer doesn't say Jesus at the beginning doesn't say, and when you pray, use these exact words in this exact order. Then you're good. He doesn't say that. He says, pray like this. And, and the word for like in Greek is autos, in this way. Pray in this way. And if, if it was the case that we were supposed to pray exactly like this, we'd all be in trouble because we're not even speaking the original language that was spoken in. So then we'd have to learn it in Aramaic, And then do we use the Aramaic or the Greek translation of it? No, we get to say it in our own language. We get to pray the Lord's Prayer in our own language. And that's a gift. Maybe this is a better title for the prayer, the Lord's Framework for Prayer. Then we would know maybe the intent of the prayer. Not as only script, but there's, there's some room. There's some wiggle room. We get to play and have some fun with this. So this is the framework we're looking at. And there's a lot of words in here, a lot of foreign words in there. If you look in there, hallowed, don't use that word a lot. Your kingdom come. What, what's the, what kingdom? What does that mean? There's some questions that come with it. And while I... I do not have the time to get into every aspect of this prayer. I felt like there was three things, three sort of observations I had about this prayer that were kind of fresh to me this week again and reminders of this beautiful prayer. First, that it's deeply communal. Second, that it teaches us something about the nature of requests. 
in our prayer. And if you pray it, it compels you into action. So this is then how the prayer starts. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. First word, our. It is deeply communal, not my Father. It's not just about me and God. It reminds us that although we may have a personal relationship with him, we don't have a private one. It's personal and communal. Dallas Willard calls this the community of prayerful love. Oh, I love this. The community of prayerful love. When we pray this, we enter into this community. Artisan church is part of this community. The church in the city and globally and historically is part of this community, and we join in it. I think our obsession with I and me plagues us when we come to our prayers. And as this cartoon from The New Yorker suggests, we're pretty awesome at human connection. I mean, we're nailing it when it comes to human connection. As you can see, these people walking around with their cell phones, and now they need uh, sticks to, to, uh, to guide them. There's an article I came across this week called, uh, the name of the, the guy was Bertrand Thurston Leaves the Internet, and You Should Too. And it talks about his, um, his desire to unplug, and so he did so for 25 days. He made a plan. He notified all the people necessary, and he unplugged from the Internet. And he had some interesting realizations. One was that he realized he had become obsessed with information, going around checking tweets, making sure he's caught up with the latest so-and-so and what and what. He was obsessed with information. Number two was that he shared too much. That was one of his realizations. And finally, uh, he says, I was addicted to myself. Interestingly, we have these devices that show us the world. I mean, right now I can look at the weather in the Sahara if I wanted to. I can, I can see across the globe. I can see a glimpse into other cities, other nations. Interesting how it opens up the world, but really makes us more obsessed with ourselves. There's this photo ad series by Xiang He, a designer in an advertising agency in Beijing. And uh, this artist wanted to highlight the detrimental effects smartphones can have on human relationships. The three ads show typical home life situations with an oversized smartphone in the middle blocking any conversation between the two people in the image. And the ads say, the just simple but profound caption, the more you connect, the less you connect. The more you connect, the less you connect. Do you agree with that? I know for me it has been the case. And the tendency, I think the human tendency is toward me and I. And there's an old Latin phrase coined by St. Augustine of Hippo, incurvatus in se. Just because it's a new language, and maybe you've never said this before in Latin, let's say it out loud together. Incurvatus in se. And it really, it, it basically means what it sounds like, curving inward toward oneself. 
this human tendency for selfishness. And so what Jesus' prayer does, it curves us outward. Uh, I'm not sure if this is correct in, in Latin, but it would be ex curvatus, outse, right? <laughs> that by praying, our Father taps us into this community of love, and we begin thinking communally right off the bat. And so I just want to give you a, um, a challenge, maybe a practice in your prayers. Try staying away from I statements and try using our statements. Just see what it does. Just experiment with that. Not saying you can't bring your request before God. You're supposed to do that. But try using our statements. Our Father, even when you're alone, it kind of brings us together, connects us a little more, reminds us that God is trying to, and his work is to set the lonely into families. So as we pray the Lord's Prayer with this communal mindset, we pray for our brothers and sisters as part of the family of God. Actually, try that. It could be really cool. And so instead of just being aware of our own needs, we're then aware of others. Instead of give me, which I think is the, the prayer for honest, give me my daily bread, it becomes give us our daily bread. And also Jesus, he understands deeply because this is communal nature, our need for forgiveness and reconciliation. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, there's an extra little bit on this. Verse 14 and 15 in Matthew says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is saying he, God is deeply interested in reconciliation, the community together, leaning upon one another, working together to become one, to be a family, actually. This picture kind of says it all when we're talking about reconciliation. Scott the painter and Justin McRoberts teamed up to make this book on prayer. And this is the image. And the caption is, May love and forgiveness for others be less and less optional. And so this, this statement, Our Father in Heaven is a unifying one. It's deeply communal, as I said. And also, it tells us what we're to unite around. It's not a statement about politics, style, aesthetic values, denominational distinctives, views on culture, marriage, or sex. It is simply our Father that unites us. This is the reason we set up this way. When we come for worship on a Sunday morning, we're centered around this This table is what unifies us. Not the things we bring. Those distinctives are important. The fact that we are different and we see the world different, our perspectives are different. Those things are important. But this is the thing that unites us. The second observation that I made was uh, this week in studying the Lord's Prayer is that it tells us something about the nature of requests. Dallas Willard writes about this very thing when he says, the picture of prayer that emerges from the life and teaching of Jesus in the Gospels is quite clear. Basically, it is one of asking, requesting things from God. 
You might know this verse from Philippians 4. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I I have to be honest, in my own personal prayer, I have been shying away from requesting anything from God. Partly because there's an internal script going on that says it doesn't really matter. You know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Someone's, a friend types in, texts in, I'm sick or my mom's sick, let's pray. I'm like, yes, let's pray. But, you know, the doctors will do what they do. God has given us bodies that heal themselves sometimes. She may or may not die. I mean, it's so bleak, but this is the honest uh, dialogue that's going on in my head. It's, does it? Does it really matter? Can we change the mind of God? And so, no, I don't think we can change God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but I think we can. I think we can change his mind. And there's overwhelming evidence in Scripture and in science that this is true. In Exodus 32, Moses reasons with God, and God changes his mind. It says, so Jehovah changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah falls mortally ill and God tells him he's going to die. Hezekiah, you're going to die. He's like, oh, please, don't let me die. He's like, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. He changed his mind with praying and pleading with God. That is just crazy to me. Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's pleading with God, won't you take this cup from me? In a sense, I don't... I don't want to go to the cross. And God didn't change his mind there. And God, I think, showed us that we, it's okay to ask. It's okay to plead with him, to ask to change his mind. And Jesus comes to this place where eventually he says, and it's quoted in the prayer, not my will, but yours be done. Evidence from science. This is exciting. Many studies have been done on the effects of prayer. I think mainly it's scientists looking at the religious community saying, prayer, really? Let's see. And get out the notepads, and here we go. Since the late 1980s, there have been more than 130 studies of the effects of prayer published in medical journals and other professional journals. The most notable one is a study by Randolph Bird from the University of California, San Francisco Medical School. It dealt with 393 coronary care patients who had heart attacks or severe symptoms. 393 people that were knocking on death's door in a hospital. And it was a double-blind study, meaning neither the patients nor the medical staff caring for them knew who was being prayed for and who was not. And the results were so impressive that every major TV network in the States at that time reported on them in some Uh, some detail. It said in the study, of the group prayed for, significantly fewer died, fewer required use of the the most potent drugs, and not one had to be put on life support. I mean, that's pretty good evidence for how prayer can help, how bringing our requests help. My first question is, well, first of all, that's amazing. And then what were they exactly praying? Because I want to know so I could take that to my prayers. But that's not what it's about. I kind of want the script, but there's not a script. Dallas Willard said, there's nothing automatic about requests. There's no silver bullet in prayer. 
requests may be granted or they may not. Either way, it will be for a good reason. That is how relationships between persons are or should be. I think even as I'm saying this, I can already hear people being like, well, that's not fair. That's, that's dumb. If I want to pray, God should answer me. Yeah, maybe check yourself. <laughs> maybe check why, what you think a relationship with God is about or what it, what it needs to be or what it is. We often, in our prayers, if we're honest, and I'm being honest here, go to our Father in heaven, give me the stuff. Like, help me now. I need this thing right now. I got to, you know, I got to go to this thing and I need your help. Please, bye. Uh, but God is saying that we maybe need to consider reordering our requests. And so these are the quest, requests that we are to familiarize ourselves with. It's the Lord's Prayer. And Dallas Willard, again, he, he lays out five petitions or five requests in the Lord's Prayer in a bit of different language I think is helpful. First, that the name of God would be regarded with the utmost possible respect and endearment. The word in the prayer is hallowed, which means sacred or glorified, highly respected. In a sense, we're saying, uh, may your name be treasured, cherished, and loved. Hallowed be your name. The second request is that his kingdom would fully come on earth. Now, already, this is different than my prayer of God, give me the stuff, or God, give me my daily bread right now, please, bye. God is saying, first, Come to me as Father. Come to me as a benevolent, relational being. Then, pray that my name would be regarded with respect and endearment in your life and in the world around you. Pray that my kingdom would come. My will would be done. Not just your kingdom and not your will. There's a level of submission here. Then, we get to the needs. Once then we've seen Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Your will be done, Lord, not mine. Then that our needs for today may be met. Our dependence on him. And then that our sins may be forgiven, not held against us. And the fifth request that we may not uh, be permitted to come under trial or to have bad things happen to us. The final thing that I've noticed with this prayer is that it compels to action. And I think the first action, the call to action, is simply to pray. And praying, not just thinking individually, but thinking communally. Praying, not fearing requesting or shying away from requests, but to bring our requests to Him. And the whole thing is very active. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today. Forgive us. Lead us. It propels us outward. There's a bit of a sense of urgency. Or as N.T. Wright says, and already we may sense bubbling up out of the prayer, the realization that if we truly pray it, we might also have to do something about it to become part of God's answer to our own praying. That part of praying this prayer is saying, uh, God... I want to take seriously the call to join you in the renewal of all things. Um, 
so full disclosure, I started using this app called Moments, and uh, it tells me how much I've used my phone every day. And it tells me which apps are used the most. And it tells me the percentage of those apps. You want to know the one, number one app I've used on this bloody thing? <laughs> yes, it's the prayer app. <laughs> you got it, Sherry. Thank you. No, the number one app that I used and have been using is Golf Clash. It's a silly game that I spend so much time playing and being so frustrated about. And the, I have this thought. I think I may be spending more time playing Golf Clash than talking to God directly. Or I think, to make it, you know, even on, on the human plane here, I've been spending more time playing Golf Clash than maybe talking to my own wife. Oh, and then this quote by Corey Tamboon just hit me like a pile of bricks. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Ah, Corey Tamboon. <laughs> this question has been haunting me. Because if I'm honest, it's totally my spare tire. It's totally my spare tire. Yes, I, I try to keep an attitude of prayer through the day and not just fixate on things I need or when I need God's help, but I can so quickly get lost in the I and me trap and so quickly pray just for things as I need them. Is prayer your spare tire or your steering wheel? And maybe, maybe the invitation this morning is to take this framework, the Lord's framework, and take it and, and experiment with it. You have, you have the ball and you have the goal, and now ha- have some fun with it. Play with it. Translate it in your own language. Use your own context, where you are, your neighborhood, your pe- the people around you, the people that bug you. Use it. Pray, I think is the invitation. Pray. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't do this right now. And so what I want to do is just flip to the next slide. This is the Lord's Prayer again. And I just want to walk through it together. So just get into a space right now where we can focus on this prayer. And we're going to use the framework. Use the framework. I also have to say, it's fine if you pray the prayer scripted. And that's what it's there for, too. If you need to use the script, use the script. But it's also okay to play with it and to go outside. So let's pray together and let's use this framework right now to guide us. And first we say, Our Father in heaven, just begin to think of God as your intimate Father, that benevolent parent who is for you, who is with you, who loves you, who wants intimacy with you. And remember the hour, our Father. Remember the person sitting next to you right now, on your left, on your right, behind you. Who, who are those people around you? What does God want for them? What is God's heart for them?
then we pray, hallowed be your name. God, we pray that we would have a respect for your name and honor for your name. Lord, that we would see your name become real in our lives and in the world around us. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done, not our kingdom, not our will, but your kingdom and your will. Use this opportunity, even now, just to name the parts of the world that you see as broken and not right. It's okay to lament. It's okay to be angry. Your kingdom come, Jesus, in these places, in these times. Your will be done. And we pray as in heaven, so it be on earth. Lord, as your kingdom is perfectly flawless, beautiful, and so your will in heaven, we pray that it would be on earth, now, here, present among us, in the downtown east side, in Vancouver, in our homes and neighborhoods. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, and we bring, us, we bring our requests We ask, give us today our daily bread. If it's uh, food that we need, we pray for that. If it's other needs, if it's the whatever it is, the audition, the housing, the school for next year for our kids, the, the friends, whatever our needs be, we pray, Lord, that you would give us today our daily bread, our needs, meet our needs And forgive us, Lord, our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lord, help us to reconcile with those who are different from us, those who have offended, those we have difficult time with. Help us to forgive. Help us to work toward reconciliation. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, we pray that you guide us, lead us into good things. Lord, at the sight of evil, may we be people that shun it, that we leave, that we run away, that we fix our eyes on good things. And Lord, help us. We need your help. And our hope today, and we pray this in your name, is that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We pray this would be forever and ever. Amen. Part of the Lord's Prayer is the reconciliation piece, and I think as we remind ourselves of what we do when we come to the table, what the gospel is, we remind ourselves what it means to forgive and to be forgiven and to extend that to others. And so let's, as we, in that spirit, remind ourselves, let's, let's say the words of the table litany together. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator...